Amen. Well, I think me and John might be having a competition this Sunday to see who's like the most tired. And um, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth now. Um, we just endured a nine-hour train journey back into London. Anyone else caught up in the storm over half term? Uh, yeah, a few smiles. Uh, there we go. Um, but such is life. And, and God's word is so, so good. But I want to put a little disclaimer um, for the sake of plagiarism. At the, at the beginning of this sermon, to say both myself and Prudence, who preached this morning, have relied extremely heavily on Timothy Keller in our preparation for this sermon. And if you are a regular here at Christchurch, you'll find a link to his talk on this topic in your study notes. And because I'm as tired as John, I may well at some points just speak some of his words. So I'm just for the sake of plagiarism, just putting it out there uh, and and claiming any good bits are probably uh, his work. But he's a brilliant preacher. Do, Do you recommend listening to some of his stuff? Did Richard last week fill up some big jars with water? Did he get that? He was talking about it because he was doing the, 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 the wine, the jar, the waters into wine thing. And he was talking about bringing a wheelie bin and getting Joel, the, the ministry intern, to fill up with water. He didn't do that. Oh, well, I was, I was kind of thinking I was going to have to compete with that illustration. And I was thinking, what is the illustration I've got? What is it, folks? What illustration have I got from this passage? Have a look. What's he going on about? What is the picture language? It's a metaphor this week, but what is it? Giving birth. Yeah, I thought I'd spare you and not demonstrate. Okay? Brilliant. Good. All right. Great. But that is the image this week. Last week we had that abundance. And this week we've got a metaphor image of giving birth. Okay. So let's dive in. We meet in this passage a wonderful character in Scripture called Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus at night. Have you ever had a sense in your life where you've been sure of something, but at the same time unsure? It's a complicated space. I had it when I first met Richard. I was sure this was someone special, but I was also like, yeah, I'm just 18, maybe not. You know, got to weigh this up, be a bit sensible. I was really sure, but a little bit unsure. Nicodemus, we see in verse 2, says this of Jesus. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miracles you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is sure Jesus is definitely a teacher. And God is definitely with him because there's no way anyone could do those miracles. So he's sure, a little bit unsure. So he comes to him in the night so no one can see. And he's got some really important questions for Jesus. And what Jesus says to him is, Nicodemus, you need to start again and you need to be born again. Okay, very quickly, find someone near you, um, have a little chat to them, and decide what, you, what do you think Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. 
What's he going on about? So you turn to someone near you, say hello, and um, just chat very quickly. You've just got a couple of minutes, very quickly. What do you think Jesus meant? Okay, to save awkward silences, I'm just going to very quickly pick on a few people. Guys, what did you think? Uh, <laughs> um, so we were talking about um, the, the sort of starting again, but with the spirit and uh, there was also the old self dying and Great, you're on the preaching rater next week, Paul. Brilliant. Old self, old self dying, starting again with the spirit. Does anyone have anything over here? Anyone being brave? Come on, Abraham, you studied at Durham Uni, come on. Like being spiritually reborn, that sort of thing. Brilliant, thank you. Oh, cool. Hello. What do you think he meant? Having a fresh start. Excellent answer. Can you go on the preaching rotor after Paul? So two weeks' time. Brilliant. Fresh start. Excellent. Anyone else? Anything a bit different? Well, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus went, say what? What are you going on about? Sorry, um, how can I go back into my mother's womb? Now, Nicodemus wasn't stupid. He did understand that Jesus was speaking in metaphor but he wanted to really understand what Jesus was saying. So he was like, Jesus, can you please explain what are you talking about? And as we look through this passage together, we're going to look at just four questions as we go through. And we're going to look at who needs new birth? Where does this new birth come from? What does being born again do? And how does it happen? How do I know that it's happened, perhaps for me? Well, if you have been a Christian for a while or been around church circles for a while, you might have heard someone say, I'm a born-again Christian. And if you have, you may well have a sort of image that's come into your head. Um, and here are some of the stereotypes that come into your head. If you hear someone say, I'm a born-again Christian, you may have a stereotypical image of a slightly over-enthusiastic American. Maybe. Just saying, maybe. Or you might have the image of somebody who's had um, quite a difficult life in some way or another. And then as they've come to faith, there's been a massive change in their life. And I was thinking, uh, we, I listened to the testimony at New Wine of a guy called Shane, who at one point was labeled as Britain's most dangerous prisoner. And then he found Jesus, and his life was instantly changed around, and he became a completely different person through Jesus' saving grace. And I might think either of that really enthusiastic American going, I'm born again, or somebody having a really dramatic change. But actually, this passage makes it really, really clear that it's not just Nicodemus who needs to be born again. It's not just over-enthusiastic, stereotypical American image we may have, or someone like Shane, or John, or me. Actually, it's, it's for all of us. And let's just look at that a little bit carefully. You see, Nicodemus was nothing like an over-emotional 
enthusiastic, stereotypical American, nor was he anything like Shane. Nicodemus was a wealthy, well-educated Jewish man from the ruling classes. He was religious and followed a strict moral code. Why would he, of all people, need a fresh start and to be born again? Well, you see, the thing is, no matter how good and put together you are, until you have a fresh start with Jesus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 3. And verse 5, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, whether you're Nicodemus, whether I'm really sorry to all the Americans in our church, but a stereotypical, that's just the stereotype of an over-enthusiastic, really excited, born-again Christian, or Shane, or me, or John, or you, we, all of us, until we've had a fresh start, until we've been born again in faith, we cannot see, verse 3, the kingdom of God, and we cannot enter, verse 5, the kingdom of God. But Jesus also teaches us this. No matter how good you might be, like Nicodemus, in chapter 4, we meet the Samaritan woman, and no matter how messed up you feel, equally both need to be born again and equally have the hope to be born again in Jesus. And it's a really important place to start. So this being newborn, this having a fresh start from Jesus, is something that we all of us need. So where does it come from? Well, Paul makes it really, really clear in the scripture of Titus that we've just been in last few weeks. And he says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. He says, God saves us through regeneration, that's rebirth, regeneration, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Our rebirth, our new birth, our fresh start, our regeneration in God comes from the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's power at work in us. And it comes, if you like, from the future. You see, our new birth is an incoming sign of God's kingdom. It's God's same power that's at work regenerating the whole world, coming into our lives being brought right into the present to begin God's transforming work in us. Huh. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like a Back to the Future movie, but God's power is at work in us. And God's power is going to be at work, beginning to heal and regenerate and restore all things, and to be removing evil and sin and everything. But this begins to come into our heart now. It's partial. That means we're not 
kind of change like a twinkling eye and we're right just like Jesus. I mean, I don't know, how are you doing on that front? But when God starts to work in us, things change. His power is at work now. He has an ability to give us patience with three children on a train for a nine-hour journey um, that, that we didn't think we had, but because we prayed and we begged and we asked for it, because he's so kind and very gracious to silly me, he gave me power and strength to be patient. And occasionally we get those little glimpses, don't we? We're like, that was the only cause of God's power at work making me new in me, that I was able to be different from what I might have been. Okay. So what does it do to us when we're born again in the spirit? Well, suddenly we have our eyes open. We're going to see through John there's a lot to do with light and dark. Interestingly, interestingly, the good moral man comes in the dark. In chapter 4, we're going to meet the messed up Samaritan woman who Jesus meets at midday in bright light. Jesus has such a soft spot for us when we're messed up. He loves us so much. That was just a little side. But here we are. Nicodemus is in the dark. And he needs his eyes opened as much as we, we all do. And so what happens when we get this new birth, being born again? Well, here we go. We need to imagine this, this the, the metaphor now. We've got a woman who's, who's giving birth. And as the baby is born and comes out, two things kind of happen to the baby. The first thing is that they gain their sight. Um, and their sense of smell and, and seeing, and they get their senses given to them. They see and hear in a different way. Before they were in the darkness of the womb and sound was muffled, and now as they've come out into the world, their senses are alivened and new and bright. And so when someone's born again as a Christian, it's a bit like that. It's suddenly like, oh, I get it, like a light bulb kind of comes on. And, and sometimes you might have been singing the worship song that Fiona was just singing and Joe was just singing. You're like, no, 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 no. And then you like become a Christian, you're born again. You're like, oh, da-da-da-da, the words, like, they mean something. I can't, I can't sing and I can't remember what the worship song was, sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it wasn't da-da-da-da. It was like something meaningful. But suddenly when you become a Christian, the light bulb, it goes on have you had that moment when you came to faith and suddenly you're like yes so your senses are alive and you begin to see and it's so exciting going around beginning to see the world with a whole different reality how God sees it I play a little game sometimes with God, I'm very childish. Um, and I sort of walk around, and I sort of like, Lord, please help me to see Wellesley Road, how you see it this week. Lord, please help me to see people in church this morning, how you see. Please make me alive to the things of your kingdom. I want to see what you're doing today, God. It's so much fun. 
I wasn't leading or preaching at the 10.30. Prudence did a brilliant job. Please watch her sermon. Um, and, uh, and I had the joy and the privilege some Sundays when I'm not doing something up front and I play a little game at the back. I'm like, Lord, who, who do you want me to speak to this week? Who do you want me to pray for this week? And um, I walked straight into St. Albans this morning and the Lord was like, lady with green jumper. I was like, okay. Um, at the end of the service, an amazing time praying with a wonderful lady with a green jumper. But I just play this little game, you know, God help me to see how you see. When we're born again, our whole senses change and we, and we begin to see things of God and we see the kingdom of God. But another thing happens too. When you're born, you suddenly are given sort of like an identity. You are now separate. I mean, you always were as you were growing, but you're now physically separate and people can see that you're separate from your mother. You're given an identity as you're born again. And as you're born again, the most beautiful thing is that your identity is a child of God. You are a loved child of God and your identity is not in what you do. So Nicodemus, you can be the most morally good and perfect person and, and great and amazing and open-minded and asking Jesus great questions and you, you're actually a pretty awesome guy and you, but none of that's gonna save you. The only person who can save us is Jesus Christ. And your identity is not in what you do, it's in being his child. Folks, we're growing up in a culture in West London where it's all about find your identity, evaluate yourself, set yourself objectives, work out the you you're going to be. Can I tell you something that's so beautiful, the Christian message? Because it says your identity is from who God says you are. That you are a child of the king. That he knows every single hair on your head. He has made you utterly unique and he delights in you. And you are so precious to him and so loved by him. And born again Christians are people who are realizing and living out fresh identity in Christ and a fresh seeing of the kingdom of God. These are wonderful things. St. Augustine says this, the mark of a truly born again Christian, a truly regenerated Christian, is that the loves of your heart are being reordered. You see, it's one thing to say, I believe God loves me, and it's just in my mind, while, on the other hand, I'm driving myself to have a successful career, to have everyone love me because I've got status and money. What I really need is to surrender my life and lay it down to God. For it is exhausting to try and give myself an identity. My identity is that I am a son or daughter of the King of Kings. It's easy to say it, but being born again is when the Spirit helps us to know it and to live it. 
Okay, so how does it happen? How do we get this new birth in Christ? Our final question, how does it, how does it happen? How do I know if I've been uh, reborn as a Christian? What does that look like? Well, our passage uh, gives us a couple of things that are significant to point out. We need to do uh, two things. We need to repent and we need to believe. And we need to do both those things with God's help. Okay. I don't think, as a church, we've worked out how to talk about repentance very well. Like, when I say repent, what do you think of? What does that mean? What do you imagine repenting to look like? Turning? Fiona's given a good answer there. Turning. A turning? Yeah, repenting. It's not really a word we use in, in everyday life, is it, very much? Um, it's definitely a sort of religious word, repenting, I think, in our, our society. Well, I think we can kind of do a couple of things with the repenting thing. We can, in our head, go, oh, repenting means I say, sorry, God, amen. Great, I've done repentance, tick. The 9.30 congregation mark are brilliant at it because we do it every week really well, don't we? We ha- definitely have confession time and we definitely repent. We say, sorry, Lord, great. Or we can kind of think, well, to repent, that's just, I've just, I'm so, got, I've got stuff so messed up that I just, you know, like, oh, I'm just, I'm an awful person. I'm like terrible. I need to like, you know, punish myself because like, I'm just not good enough. And like, we can kind of go into that self-flagellation almost mode. And, you know, in the middle ages and stuff, they did that really well. We don't do that kind of stuff anymore. You like hit yourself, basically. You're beating yourself or you wear itchy clothing or something like that. Um, And the problem is that both of those kind of ideas can, can leave us in a bit of a funny state. If we just see repentance as going, oh, sorry, Lord. Oh, yeah, sorry, Lord. Oh, yeah, done again. Sorry, Lord. It kind of trivializes a little bit kind of our mess and I think leaves us in quite a childish sort of state as a Christian. But equally, people that self-flagellate, as it were, the people that walk around beating themselves up, racked up in guilt, that's really not great either. It tells us in the Bible so clearly that the Spirit does not give us guilt or condemnation the spirit comes to convict not to condemn and the spirit comes verse 17 of our passage for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him So if repentance is not just a quick, I'm sorry, Lord, and it's not like, oh, I'm such a terrible person, I'm going to like self-flagellate and walk around in guilt and if it's, what does it mean to repent? Well, here the passage gives us an answer, and it's a really strange one. So why don't you look with me at verse 
14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What? Okay, story back in Numbers. The people had messed up big time. God was angry, needed to grab their attention, sent a load of snakes. The snakes were biting the people. The venom from the snake was attacking people's bodies and people were dying. Ah, help. Okay, Moses, get a bronze snake, put it on a staff and hold it up. And everybody who looks at the snake will be healed. The venom of the, of the snake acts, if it were a picture, if you like, of the sin of the people that was working through. How did they repent? What did they do? They had to look up. I'd like to suggest that whilst it's right for us definitely to say sorry for our sins, while it is very right for us to turn from them, but at the heart of repentance is the act of lifting our eyes off ourselves and putting them on to God. You see, when our eyes are on God, our whole perspective realigns. Suddenly we have a king, a friend, a master whose ways are good and true and pure. And can I tell you, it is so hard to sin when you're really looking on the Lord. Repentance becomes an act of sight. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can do, but it's who we look to to save us. For God so loved the world that he then gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look up and believe. That is how you are reborn. And you should expect, we should expect to be changed by God as we do that. And for some people, they're going to have that amazing story like Shane that I spoke about at the beginning. For many of us, it's going to be far more kind of gradual and, and over time, it's going to look a little bit different for each one of us because we are uniquely made and, and uniquely formed and in unique situations. But we shouldn't underestimate the power of change that takes place when somebody is reborn. Try singing the worship song, la 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 one. Um, <laughs> try singing the one with proper words and worshipping God and having your vision on God and sinning. Uh, it, it, you can't, you can't, if your eyes are off yourself. And I just wonder how many of us need to hear 
Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself. And put them on Jesus. One of my favorite psalms. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Should we stand together? I think this evening we're just going to create a little bit of spaciousness to, to do that, to do that act of just looking on the Lord. Yes, Father, we're just going to wait on you now. I'm going to hand over to John and just going to lead us in responding to you.